Jesus, we love singing about you. We love talking about you. We love thinking about you. We love fixing our eyes upon you, Jesus, because the moment that we see you, you are beautiful. And once we've seen you, why would we ever want to take our eyes off you? Jesus, you're beautiful. I love you, Lord. I want to tell you again today, Jesus. I love you, Father. I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. We love you. We, your people, we love you, Jesus. We love you. There's a deep cry from our hearts that gushes up moment by moment, day by day. A love for you that will never ever go away. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fantastic. Let's give our musicians and singers a little clap. Encourage them as they leave the stage. Do you know, I can remember um, coming home from South Africa once and uh, I was on a plane for 12 hours and I was next to a friend who was in Bible school with me and we just talked about Jesus. We, we talked about Jesus for 10 hours solid, right? And we weren't even trying to do it, but it, we were so excited just about Jesus. And, uh, you know, after about 10 hours, this woman in front of us turned around and she was really annoyed and really angry. She said, can't you do anything else other than talk about Jesus? All I have heard on this trip for the last 10 hours is Jesus this, Jesus that. She said, haven't you got any other kind of life other than Jesus life? And we looked at her and just looked at each other and smiled. And she turned around. We didn't say anything. And she sat back down, and then I just put my hand on, on the back of her seat. I said, oh, Jesus, just bless her, Lord. Just bless her, Lord. Along the way, just save us somehow, Jesus, because we were all in that seat. We were all, you know, miffed and angry and had a misconception of who he was. We just, we just laid our hands together on that seat and just went... Because when your head doesn't understand what to pray, your heart does. So we just prayed for her. But that was a, a, just a funny little incident I was thinking about. But do, do you know, lots of times there are people all around us that, that have a wrong idea, a wrong picture of who God is. We know who he is. We've experienced his love. That wrong idea, that wrong notion that we once had, he shattered and he he broke it apart by the invasion of wonderful love, wonderful grace, unconditional mercy, unconditional kindness. And it reshaped our thinking. It reshaped our understanding. It reshaped our idea about who God was. And I really do believe, you know, in these days that the Holy Spirit is going to help each one of us as we meet people out in the world that we live in. We, as we meet them, he's going to help us 
through our lives, through the aroma of our lives, through our talk and through the expression of our actions, he's going to help us to reshape people's idea as to who God is. He really is. And over the last uh, six, eight weeks, we've been looking uh, in Luke chapter 4 how Jesus went to his home synagogue in Nazareth where he tried to do that. He went to his home crowd, sorry for spitting, the place that he grew up, and um, he, he started to, to tell people that knew him very well about who God was and about what he had come to do. And last week we just looked at the fact that Jesus was handed the book, the book of Isaiah. He was handed the book, he opened the book, he read from the book, he closed the book, and he handed it back. And that's the, the, the machine that, that, that was happening there, that's, that, that's the, the, the program that they had happening in that synagogue week in, week out, year in, year out. Somebody got handed the book, somebody opened the book, somebody read from the book, somebody closed the book, but it never went beyond the book. It never went beyond what they read and what they handled and what they heard. But but God wants us, yes, to value the book. We're not saying that the Bible isn't important. Thank God for the promises in print. Thank God that we hold the Bible in our hand today. It's precious to us. But there must be an outflow of this word. There must be an expression through each one of our lives to others. And that's what Jesus was just trying to, to tell them and show them when he went into the synagogue that day. He was trying to lift their vision. He was trying to say, listen, there's a world beyond your world. Jesus wasn't saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's not on you. This wasn't a condemning message. This wasn't a message that he was bringing, to, bringing them to you know, rub their noses in it and shame them. Jesus just simply wanted to, you know, lift their eyes to the harvest, lift their eyes to the needs around them. When he read from the book of Isaiah. Then he said, today this is fulfilled in your midst. They got angry, tried to chuck him off a cliff. Because they didn't want that beating heart of compassion that he had. They were comfortable in their complacency. They didn't want to look out to the, to the broken world that was all around them. There was needy people all around them. Do you know the wonderful thing is this? And I've seen this and you probably have too. The lowest moment of your life can become the highest moment of your life when Jesus is in it. Very often, Jesus finds us at the lowest moment of our lives. But suddenly, that lowest point, that lowest moment, actually becomes the highest moment of your life as he arrives into it. And that's all that Jesus was saying in these words that he spoke in Nazareth on that, on that particular week when he was with them. He was saying, guys, there are people all around us outside of this building, outside of this religious ceremony, and they are at their lowest moment in life. There's masses of people outside of, outside of what, what, what you've been doing here for years. The people that you have excluded from this religious ceremony, they're at their lowest moment. There's the poor. 
They're at their lowest moment. They have this horrid picture of God. There's been 400 years of darkness. They've been under a heavy curse. They've got an impression of God that is wrong. Now I'm going to preach good news to the poor. Their lowest moment is going to become their highest moment because I'm going to preach good news to them. You see what happens when Jesus steps into poverty? He doesn't just relish in poverty and rub people's noses in it. He's going there to change poverty into prosperity. And we're not talking about material things here. We're talking about an inward poverty, an inner picture that that, that says, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want me. God hates me. Why am I alive? Why, why, why am I here? Everything I do is wrong. I must be under a curse. Jesus was determined to not only read, you know, historical words from, from Isaiah's lips. He was, he was saying, I am the embodiment of what Isaiah spoke. I'm going to the poor and I'm going to change their picture that they have about God. And I'm going to change their poverty into, into prosperity. I am going to become poor so that they might become rich. I'm going to preach good news to them. And he, 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 he's just trying to, you know, excite, I believe, the people here. He wasn't trying to be antagonistic or trying to set himself up as their enemy. He was trying to arouse them. Now, they couldn't have been the embodiment of Isaiah's words. Jesus wasn't telling them to be the embodiment of Isaiah's words. He was going to be the embodiment of that word. The word made flesh dwelling among them, them beholding his glory. But their hard hearts, their hard hearts stood up against Jesus And they said, this is just but Joseph's son, the carpenter. And we looked at, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? That, you know, the demons recognized Jesus. The demons cried out and said, you're the son of God. But the religious hard-hearted could never see beyond the veil of a humble vocation, the carpenter. But the, 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 the apostles saw it. They said, he's the word made flesh. We beheld his glory, that of the only begotten son of God. John the Baptist saw it when he saw God's favor rain down. The father's favor rain down on Jesus. And he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And John said that he was the savior of the world. Jesus. No, Jesus had come for people. Jesus had come for the poor. He'd come for the brokenhearted. What did he say? There's people outside of where we are today. And they are brokenhearted. They're poor. They're brokenhearted. I'm going to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to go into the low moments of life of the brokenhearted. And I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. They're not going to stay brokenhearted. I'm going to heal them. It's only Jesus that can remove inner poverty. It's only Jesus, my friends, that can, that can heal a broken heart. It really is. How many broken hearts has he healed in this building this morning? Come on, put your hand up. He's healed my broken heart. He's removed my poverty of life. 
restored my understanding as to who God is. He's kind, he's loving, he's slow to anger, he's rich in mercy. His love is new every morning, great is his faithfulness. That's the God that we not only see but know. He said this captive people. They're at at an all-time low. Are we just going to leave them poor, broken-hearted, and captive? Are we just going to, you know, hold the book, open the book, read from the book, close the book, and hand it back? Is that all we're going to ever do? Is that the ritual that we're just going to go through year after year? No, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me because... And I am going to these people because there's an anointing upon me. There's an ability that I have to set people free, to bring them into a new position of life, to take them from the low point to the high point, and it's all going to be because of me. And from this moment on, after Jesus had just issued this out of his heart, everything from here on in, as you read the Gospels, is all about people. It's all about healing them, delivering them, taking them from the lowest moments, from the lowest pits, into the highest heights of life in him. Wonderful. Wonderful. The anointing on him, moving through him. We said that, you know... As we read this and as we look at Jesus, that there was invitations all around him, people pulling them, pulling him into their crisis, pulling them in, pulling him into their need. And wherever he went, he didn't refuse their invitations. He didn't refuse their longings and their cryings and, and their pullings of him. He went in and he delivered and he healed and he brought good news wherever he went. He never saw people as an inconvenience. He never saw people as, as trouble. But he valued them as precious. And how? Jesus is incredible. He's wonderful. And this morning, I just want us to move now from Luke chapter 4 into Luke chapter 5. Because now Jesus is, you know, sort of out from the harbor of the home synagogue where he'd grown up and where they'd been accustomed to seeing him and recognizing him as Joseph's boy. But he's out of that now. The restriction and the hold of that has gone now. And it's like he's out on the open seas of life. And he's going where the Spirit moves him. He's going where the Spirit leads him. And he's out of their religious box. He's out from under their restriction. And he's out in the open seas of life healing people, delivering people, bringing glory to his father, wherever the spirit would lead him. We saw that he went to uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. She was on the bed. He, he, he just lays his hand on her and suddenly she's up and she's, she's cooking for him and she's, you know, she's serving them just with the laying on of a hand. But this, his hand is very different to our hand. My hand can do nothing. My hand, my, you know, my, my hand is, is a sinful hand, a broken hand, a hand that really has no use, but his hand. 
Oh, his hand is very different to our hands, friends. I'm telling you now, when his hand comes down on your head, when his hand touches your body, everything changes. She's up off the bed and she's serving them. And then suddenly people know that he's in the house and there's, there's multitudes of people as the sun sets, multitudes, and they're coming with all manner of diseases, with all manner of complications, with all manner of obstacles, all manner of of impossibilities. And suddenly, here he is doing what he's been born to do, doing what he does best, standing as Lord in the middle of a crisis, standing as Lord in the middle of human deprivation and sin and sickness and mess and it's not overwhelming him he is lord in the midst of it all in the midst of the human mess in the midst of the chaos and he's healing them and he's delivering them and he's bringing glory to his father because that is what he does the anointing of the spirit of god can do absolutely anything there is not a sickness there is not a disease there is not a devil that can resist it there is not an impossibility that it cannot breach and that anointing is inside you that anointing is inside me little old me yes little old you little old you the same anointing now we may not do what he did because there's nobody like him there's nobody that can do what he does but together as his body Each one of us have a ministry to fulfill and people to help. There's invitations that are pulling on you every single day in your home, in your workplace, out there in life. They're pulling on you. Just a glance of somebody's eye, just a word from their mouth, just a gesture that that they make, just a frown on their face. It's an invitation. It's calling you. It's beckoning you in. Why do people just unpack all of their troubles at your door I'll tell you why because there's an aroma from you the aroma of Christ you may not even know it but it's pulling on them it's drawing them it's telling them that you're their answer you're their way back to God and Jesus knew about this spirit anointing Jesus knew about the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and he's out on the loose and he's healing everything everything he's healing it all and he's doing miracles and signs and wonders as this anointing enables him and then Luke chapter 5 Luke chapter 5 he turns up in a man's life that has a very poor picture of who God is now I want us to just uh, spend a little time here this morning just looking at the man that Jesus met who had a very poor picture of who God was. Remember that Jesus had said, I have come to preach good news to the poor. Not the materially poor, although he blesses us materially, but the impoverished soul that has a wrong, broken picture, a wrong, broken idea of who God is. So Jesus turns up. Let's read about it. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 11. It says this, oh man, this is awesome. So it was as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood up, or he stood by the Lake Gennesaret, 
and saw two boats standing by, by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had gone, uh, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And there was, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. For he, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, fish which they had taken. And so also was James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. It actually happened. It actually took place. What we've just read. This encounter happened. This overwhelming, this astounding blessing landing in Peter's boat he saw it with his own eyes written in the Bible recorded for us to read it actually happened it actually took place now Jesus left the synagogue and he's in Peter's boat and he starts to teach doesn't open a book doesn't read from a book, doesn't close a book and hand it back. All of that old form that had no power, it looked godly. It looked godly, but it had no power. All of that stuff went out the window. Jesus was no longer and would never go back there and get involved in that machine because it had no relevance for the people that needed him. So he's in the boat, radical move by Jesus. I was sharing this in our heart and soul uh, night just a few weeks ago. Radical move for Jesus in the boat, preaching from the boat. Um, excuse me, Jesus, uh, don't you need a ceremony a religious ceremony. Don't you need, you know, priests and Sadducees and Pharisees and all of the religious trimmings around you, Jesus, to begin to speak about God and begin to share with people about holy things, Jesus? Don't you need all of those religious tri uh, trimmings around you, Jesus? No. I'll use your boat, please, Peter. And he's in the boat, and he's just telling people about God. What's he doing? There's people there who have an impoverished idea as to who God is. 
and he's there just telling them openly and freely these people would never go to a synagogue these people had been kept outside of the synagogue these people religious people had looked down their noses at and they'd made them feel unwelcome they'd made them feel unholy they'd made them feel out there on the fringes not welcome don't come near our door don't come through into, into what we believe is holy ground. And the man full of grace and truth, the man with unconditional love in his heart, the man that will not be coerced by people, the man that is not there for a position, the man that, that has come and declared, I have come to serve, not to be served stands in a boat and talks openly to everybody and begins to rearrange the internal picture that they have about God. And he begins to openly tell them and teach them. And then, I mean, I love this. You know, you don't get somebody turning, you know, turning up at the end of it. Do you want me to play the organ now, Jesus, for the altar call? Jesus, um, do you want me to uh, close in prayer? Come on, G. Come on, G. We've got to do the religious little program, G. Let's do it now. No, none of that. He finished talking. Finished talking in Peter's boat. And then he said, um, oh, let's, let's go a bit deeper, Peter. I mean, this is Jesus. Just, there's a wonderful spontaneity. That Jesus has a wonderful sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Wonderful sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus said, you know it. He said, I only do that which I see my Father doing. I only say the words that I hear my Father speak. And now attuned to that. Now in complete unison with that. Under the orders of Father. Under the orders of a wonderful, beautiful, loving, holy God. That sent his son into the world. Not to condemn the world. But to love the world. So that none might perish. Under the orders of Father. He says, Peter. Why don't we go a bit deeper in the boat? So Peter says, all right, here we go. And then he says this, Peter, me being a carpenter and all, thinks it's a good idea for you to launch the nets over the other side. Well, me being a fisherman, Jesus, and all, thinks it's not a good idea. Nevertheless, nevertheless, At your word, I will let down my net. Now, Jesus has said, Peter, I know what's coming next. I know that you think that the waters under this boat are empty. They are deep. You fished all night. I know that you think they're empty, Peter. But I've got a couple of little tricks up my sleeve. It's better than magic, Peter. It's better than Michael McKenna, Peter. It's better than your local seance, Peter, it's better than the local coven and the witches, Peter. I'm going to get a big shoal of fish 
to swim under this boat because I'm Lord, Peter. The witches can't do this. The covens can't do it. Your little trip on the Ouija board can't do it, Peter. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm telling you now, Peter's up, his, his hard drive is about to get blasted to smithereens. smithereens. He's about to get a major download. He is about to get a massive input that's going to blow every circuit in his little head. Let down the nets, boy, plural. Peter lets down the net, singular. Well done, Peter. Peter lets down the net, and all of a sudden, the weight of God's blessing, he tries to pull. He does his best, and you can see his mind reeling You can see the confusion that the blessing and the abundance creates. You can see the, the mental tearing that's going on in his mind as God's blessing comes down upon him because he can't work out why God would bless him. And he pulls it up and the nets are breaking and he signals to the others and they pull it into the boat and the boat starts sinking. Jesus really wants to do a number on him. He really does. He really wants to do a massive, massive number on him. And that's what's happening in this this scene. Jesus is just blasting to smithereens all of Peter's old ideas, all of the old signals and all of the old messages that had gone into Peter's mind, just like they go into our minds about God. Messages that are wrong, messages from people that have so-called represented God, that have spoken the word of God and said, God is like this, God is like that, and God can only bless you if you do this or if you perform like this. And God just, in Jesus, just turns up and says, Hey, Peter, no performance, boy. I'm just going to blast you because I love you. And I want you to have a different idea of who God is. Now, it's great, isn't it? You know, we all know Peter as, um, as one of the foremost apostles in the New Testament. It was Peter that had a revelation of Jesus being the Christ. It was Peter that was in the, in, in amidst the 120 in the upper room that stood up when the fire came down, that took them out of the house. Uh, it was Peter that preached to thousands of people on the streets of Jerusalem, and suddenly the 120 grew to multiple thousands and multiple, multiple thousands in the days and the weeks after. It was Peter that was one of the foremost apostles in the emerging early church. Peter has an amazing name in the the, the scriptures, in the New Testament. But isn't it great that the Bible shows you where it all began? Oh, I love it. Because Peter was an uneducated man. Peter was an unlearned man. Peter didn't meet Jesus in a Bible school. Peter didn't meet Jesus in some kind of religious ceremony, in, in an altar call, in a synagogue. Peter didn't meet Jesus when he was praying on his knees and fasting and going through a religious circus that everybody, you know, was supposed to do according to the day. No, Peter met Jesus with his dirty clothes on. He'd been sweating. He'd been toiling. He'd been working all night, struggling. He met Jesus as a violent man. He met Jesus as a frustrated man. He met Jesus at the end of his tether, not knowing what to do, in a dirty old 
boat at sea. That's where he met him. And I love the Bible because it shows us not only where God will take you, it shows you where God will find you. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. God has taken us far away from where he found us, but let's never forget where he found us. Because where he found us will always be a source of joy. It will always be a memory. Oh, Lord, if you can save me, you can save anybody. Lord, if you can extend your kindness to a person like me, you can extend your kindness to anybody. If you can do a miracle in my hard-hearted life, in my critical life, in my life that was going nowhere, in my life life that was unproductive, you can do a miracle in anybody. God took Peter to great places, but let's never forget where he found him. And I always believe that Peter, Peter saw that as a source of great blessing. He really did. But this encounter that Peter has with Jesus It shows us that there was a night of struggle for this man. He went through a night of struggle. And I was telling the guys this a few weeks ago. He was struggling all night. They'd caught nothing. Struggling and striving, trying to catch something. Jesus wasn't in the boat. Jesus wasn't with him. And when Jesus isn't with you, you'll struggle, you'll strive. You'll use all of your work and all of your energy, and at the end of it all, you'll be left with nothing, like this man was. Jacob was a man like that in the Old Testament. Jacob strived for many years with God. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll, I'll be better than you, I'll get the upper hand, I'll, I'll promote myself. I'll do everything I can to get ahead of you. You'll always be under my heel. I'll always concoct some kind of plan in my own strength to be the top and not the bottom. Then one night, one night, it was a night of struggle that Jacob had with God. And God, it says he wrestled with God. And then in in the morning, it says... That God or the angel touched his, his, the socket of his hip and gave him a new name. The new name came as Jacob realized who he was. God said to him, or the angel said to him, who are you? What is your name? Um, excuse me, God. I thought you were omniscient, all-knowing. If you're the God that threw the stars into space, if you're the God that, that set the sun and the moon in their place, if you're the God that, that, that gave the sea its boundaries, if you're the God that gave us all of the created things, if you're the God that formed the universe, why are you asking my name? Don't you know it? I know it, Jacob, but you don't. You don't know your name, Jacob. What is your name? My name is Jacob. As soon as he said Jacob, he was saying it was confession time before God. He was saying, I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. I'm a cheat. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. Jacob. Suddenly, 
in that moment where he says Jacob, God comes into it and says, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You're now going to be called Israel, prince with God. Why? Because God comes into the low moments and he transforms them into high moments of our life. The moment that we come and acknowledge who we are before God, you're going to see huge transformation. You're going to see a huge launch, a huge leap into another level of living. And Jacob leaves the lowest moment of his life, confessing to God, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a thief, I'm a deceiver. I've got a huge history behind me that I can't do anything about and it's going to characterize my future. No, it's not. You've suddenly come and you've recognized who you are. Now you're going to be a prince with God and his life changes. Peter's in the boat. He's gone through his night of struggle. And he's toiled and he's achieved nothing. And yet, at God's word, at Jesus' word, he lets down the nets. It's a new morning of surrender. He goes through his night of struggle. Now he comes into a morning of surrender. It's your word that I'm going to listen to. It's your plans for my life that I'm going to acknowledge. I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you ask me to. And he lets down the nets and suddenly a surrendered life receives blessing, receives abundance that he cannot compute. But that surrendered life, that surrendered life cries, says, depart from me. Depart, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Have you come here this morning saying, like Peter said, depart from me. My history is too big. My history you can't handle. You might be able to put fish in a net. You might be able to sink boats, but you can't hold my history. I am a sinful man. What Peter didn't realize was this. There was a greater I am standing in the boat. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Now, Jesus wasn't going anywhere. The only thing that was going to leave Peter was the sinful man bit. And it did because Peter never re referred to himself as a sinful man ever again. The sinful man left Peter. You see, if Jesus had left the boat, if Jesus had have responded to Peter's request, depart from me, the sinner would have been Lord over the Savior. But Jesus steps in, he isn't going anywhere, and he is going to show Peter that he is going to be Savior over the sinner. And Peter cries, Lord, Lord. You see, all of his history, it's rising up against Jesus, but his heart is crying, Lord, be my Lord. And from that moment of surrender, Jesus enables him to go into a new day of service. He goes through his night of struggle. He comes into his morning of surrender. And now Jesus is talking about a new day of service for this man. He said, Peter, he said, I'm not just about filling your nets with fish. Don't be impressed with that. I'm not about sinking boats. I'm about catching you. And I've caught you today. I've caught you, Peter. I've got you, haven't I? Because Jacob wrestled with God in the Old Testament, but Jesus wasn't having any wrestling match 
with Peter. He was just overwhelming him with love, overwhelming him with grace, overwhelming him with kindness and abundance. What does the Bible say? It's the goodness of God that causes us to change our minds about him. It's the goodness and the kindness, not the stern, correcting, pointing finger of a preacher that changes our mind. No, it's the goodness, the overwhelming abundance of God's blessing that causes us to change our mind, change our picture about him. And Peter gets a huge change of mind and a new future in which he can serve Jesus in. He enables him to serve him. He empowers him to serve him. And he releases him from his fear. I'm going to ask the musicians just to come and we're going to close just in a moment. Peter had a hard, checkered background, a big, huge past. Bible tells us he was a zealot. He was actually a terrorist. Peter was a terrorist. He was an insurrectionist. He stood up to oppose everything that Rome represented. He was a violent man. He may have had blood on his hands. And he thought that Jesus couldn't deal with that. Oh, Jesus could deal with it, all right. And he enabled him to walk into newness of life and a future that Peter never realized he could have. Who would have thought that day when Jesus just said, so casually, See, Jesus, you know, doesn't come with this grand announcement, does he, when he talks to us. Trumpets blaring, angels, big fanfare, flashing lights. He doesn't come with this big, huge announcement. He just talks to us very casually. He says, are you going to be fisher of man now, Peter? You're going to leave your vocation. Who would have thought when Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men, that years later he would have been going across all of the world, preaching the gospel, seeing thousands of people. His mind must have gone back to the moment when Jesus sat there in the boat with him. Oh, how his mind must have gone back so many times where he found me. I'll never forget it. I remember the moment where he said, I'm going to be a fisher of man. I never thought that I could do it. I, I couldn't have even filled out an application form to get to the Bible school. Never mind, gone there. And now all of this, all of this, this blessing is coming out of me. It's, it's all around me and people and, and the kingdom is being built through me. And, and the word of God, I'm writing letters to churches. Who would have thought that that, that could have happened to me? But he said it, and when he says it, when he speaks it, when he speaks it, James, when he speaks it, when he says, you're going to be a pastor, when he, when he anoints you to do it, James, even though you've said, I can't do it, that's qualified you, James. That's qualified you. And everything, everything, Around him as he sees it. His mind must have gone back. After this encounter, it says they, they pulled the boats up. Well, you'd have to, wouldn't you? 
They pulled the boats up. And it says they just left it. Oh, man. That's, uh, they weren't even concerned about the fish. They weren't even concerned about the nets breaking. I mean, this is a great business opportunity. Let's draw our, this draw is, you know, people's attention to what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. My, my boats are, my boats are filled. My, my nets are broken. Come and see how he's blessed me, 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 me. Look at me. I am the move of God. I am the one that's favored by God. No, they left it. They left it. That's not important. We fished all night for that, but that's not important. That has no relevance anymore. We've been astounded and astonished by Christ, the Word made flesh. They left it and followed Him. Well, you would. You would, wouldn't you? You really would. They followed Him to do what He had declared in Nazareth. To correct the erroneous pictures that, had, that the people had about God. Impoverished soul. They were going to correct it. To heal the brokenhearted, To deliver the captive. To release the oppressed. And to announce that the, Lord, the year of the Lord's favor had come. Amen. Amen. Now this morning, as we leave this place. We're going to go out into our world again. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you. He's going to lead you to people and they're going to invite you. And, you know, their invitation may come at an inconvenient time. Go with the invitation. Go with the invitation. Yes, it will be inconvenient. Yes, it will be. Yes, it it may come at the wrong time. Go with the invitation. They're going to invite you. They're going to call you. And you're going to have everything that you need You've already got it to deal with the situations that you find and that you see. Maybe it's to pray for somebody who is sick. Do it. Maybe it's just to tell somebody about Jesus, his love and his care, and to pray with them. Do it. Do it. Let's close our eyes just for a moment. We're going to close right now. You may be here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've, you've thought in your, in, your, in your mind, he's departed from me. Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. Do you know what? Every single one of us have, have thought that at some point in our lives. Why? Because we've all done sinful things. We've all done shameful things. Every one of us, me included. Definitely. I'll be the first to raise my hand up and admit it. I've done things that I am not proud of as a person. But oh, wonderful it was when Jesus came and he saved me. And I just said, please come into this heart of mine. Please set me free. Please break the power of sin in my life. I want to live in a relationship with you. And he came. My lowest moment became my highest moment. Not because I became anything, but because he came into my emptiness. Now, right now, I want to pray with you. If you want to ask Jesus into your life, please, please pray with me. Please allow me this moment to give you that invitation. While eyes are closed, if you want to pray right now, just lift your hand up. We're, going to pr- we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray with you. Is there one person?
There's a person here. That's it. Two people there. That's right. We're going to pray. That's it, my love. I'm going to pray. Three people. Anybody else? Oh, it's wonderful. When you just say, when you realize that, and, and some more there, when you realize that Jesus doesn't want to depart from you, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Just pray this quietly with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you want me. You want me. You want all of my history. You want all of my future. I ask you today to forgive me for my sin. To heal me. I believe that you died for me. And that you rose from the dead for me. And now I pray that my life from this day forward would be hand in hand with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout this morning. People have got saved, given their lives to him. Let's stand. We're just going to sing before we go. And then-